This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for September 28th, 2022. Your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you from Austin, Texas. We got a hell of a show here for you because I'm starting to sniff out some trends. I'm starting to sniff out some gut hunches about how the Senate is going to shake out and I am going to write off one race. I'm done with one race. It's over. It's over for me. So we're going to go through all those. I got some rants. Then we're going to welcome one of our old friends, the money man, Dave Leventhal of DC's Insider Bureau. And they're not talking about money this time. Despite the fact that uh, financial stuff has been Dave's bread and butter, the folks he's gathered out there with Insider are focusing on another number. Age. Red, white, and gray is the series. Why are we currently in the midst of the oldest government the United States of America has ever been through? And... What are we willing to do about it? All of that. And this complaint. Guys, I'm trying to go out there. I'm trying to go out there and cover stuff for you. I I honestly am. And I'm looking at my schedule and I know the weeks that'll that'll make sense. And I'm willing to uh, uh, break almost any commitment (laughs) that I need to to be out there for you. But I got a complaint. Because over the last week, I've done my best to try to find any calendar of events for these Senate campaigns. Certainly ain't none listed on their website. There so far has been no response from the campaign's media directors. So it's it's frustrating and, and and it's more frustrating i mean obviously look i'm i'm a parachuting parasite journalist that's here to do a podcast for you guys so you guys care about it you you guys are my 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 constituency but i'll just say this for the voters in georgia the voters in nevada the voters in pennsylvania those are the the, the states that i'm kind of circling how in the hell are you guys supposed to see these candidates how are you supposed to see these guys and and gal be out there and talk to you because I can't for the life of me. If I can't, I have a financial incentive to spend my own money and cover these guys. How in the hell are you guys supposed to do it? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to know. Cause it certainly isn't easy and it's very annoying. We're still going to do it. I just wanted to complain about that guys campaigns, put your events up. It's not that hard. It's your job. Whatever. All that. Bird first.
I don't know if we're going to do predictions on this show. I don't know if I am going to predict what my Senate map is going to be. I know that I am not going to predict what the House is going to be. That is, the, the, the idea of predicting the House number is literally just for people that want to make spreadsheets for fun. That's it. There's nobody else that wants to do this that that doesn't want to make spreadsheets for fun. I know there's a lot of people that love making spreadsheets. Oh, my God, you can order the world on these tables. But I'm just saying it ain't me, babe. It ain't me. That being said, I got a sniff test. I got a sniff test. And we're going to start here. I promised you guys that I was going to write off one of these Senate races. And I'm writing it off right now. Arizona is going to stay Democratic. I don't know what the hell's going on with Blake Masters. I actually thought he was a decent candidate. And specifically, I thought he was a decent candidate if he was going to be bankrolled to the hilt by Peter Thiel, for whom he has a close relationship. But. Oh, my God, has his financial situation been dire? He does not seem to have any kind of in to unstick the very genial but mayonnaise-level consistency of Mark Kelly. He has allowed Mark Kelly to run the race that Raphael Warnock wishes he could run. The totally nonpartisan, aren't I a G-shucks nice guy? Just go ahead and send me back to the Galdern Senate. I'm an astronaut. I guess Raphael Warnock can't say he's an astronaut, but I'm sure at some point when he was a little boy, he might have wished he was. I don't think Blake Masters has it. Let's go ahead and take a look at the polling there. Right now, according to the Real Clear Politics average, it's Kelly plus 6.2. The closest that we have seen Blake Masters come is a Trafalgar poll that had him within two. Other than that, you know, I'm seeing a lot of sixes, eights, and twelves. This smells blue to me. I'm not going to focus a lot on it. I'm not going to go out there to cover it. Also, I was in Phoenix and it was way too hot. I don't know why people talk about dry heat as as if it's a good thing. I honestly don't. What's the dry heat? Like, that's a good, like, that's a, a good thing to say. I think it's a conspiracy. I think it's a conspiracy. And yes, I'm a swamp creature. I, I at some point crawled out of the Everglades. I do like humidity, a little bit of humidity. When I was on the West Coast, I didn't like the fact that all of a sudden it's 70 degrees outside and you're like, oh, well, this is nice. Uh, uh, maybe I'll, or no, it's 80. It's nice. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to wear a little T-shirt. Next thing you know, you walk behind a street sign. It's like being on the dark side of the moon. It feels like a ghost just ran through your body. I don't like that. You need a little binding humidity just to make sure that you don't need multiple pieces of clothing throughout the rest of the day. But that doesn't even come close to exactly what happened in Phoenix. Good God. You walk outside and you get a runny nose full of blood. That's what dry heat is. If somebody told me that there was a conspiracy to have people say, but it's a dry heat as if it's a good thing. And that somehow is part of QAnon. I would have bought in (laughs) because it doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, it was too hot in Phoenix and um, I'm not going to go back there. I think Mark Kelly is still going to be your senator. Sorry for going off on a little bit of a tangent. 
Let's move now to the races that I do think will be close, but I do have some smell test on. Ohio. That, of course, is pitting J.D. Vance against Congressman Tim Ryan. Looking at the real clear politics average, we've got Vance up by 1.2 percentage points. Now, I know that the polls show that this is close. And there's a million different polling ways that you can say people diving into the crosstabs and saying, that well, but because of this waiting and this, that and the other, blah, 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 blah. Here's what I know. Trump won Ohio by eight in 2020 and the economy's bad. And it's not like all the jobs came back to Ohio. So. I tend to think that this is an advantage for the Republican. I don't believe that J.D. Vance has bungled this in any kind of massive way. And I don't like the campaign that Tim Ryan is running. All right. Here is one of Tim Ryan's most recent ads to give you a sense of what the visual picture is. He is throwing footballs at televisions that are coming in on a conveyor belt talking about how he's not the guy that they're saying he is in these BS ads. Also, when he says, I'm not that guy, he's referring to televisions that say defund the police on them. They say you can know a person by their enemies. Well, here comes their bull ads. That's from the people who push bad trade deals with China. I vote against them every single time. And that's from the people who sell out Ohio workers. I vote against them, too. Ohio workers need a tax cut. And here come the culture wars. I'm not that guy. I'm Tim Ryan, and I approve this message. Still got it. So I get it. Trump won Ohio by eight. And that's the reason why you're running as a Republican. Because that's an ad I've seen Republicans run multiple times. It's the exact same ad, except for one difference. Normally, the Republicans are shooting the targets or televisions or whatever thing that they are standing in for what they're going to get rid of or what they're not. Right. Instead, Tim Ryan is throwing footballs at it. And that's exactly the mushy middle that this campaign is operating in, because either you are totally surrendering the fact that you are taking advantage of the Democratic brand, right? And you are saying, you want to know what? I don't agree with everything that Joe Biden has done. And I'm going to be a fierce and independent voice for you in Ohio. And you're going to take a stand and you are going to appear with a gun in an ad. You're going to do things that violate the Democratic orthodoxy. So the voters say, well, maybe he is that kind of guy. or you run as a Democrat and you say, like many of these other Democrats, hey, I want to stand up for a woman's right to choose. I want to do this, that and the other. And you say, Ohio isn't really a red state. Ohio is a red state because of whatever narrative you're going to bring up. It really is a moderate state. So goes Ohio. So goes the nation. We want to bring sanity back to the Buckeye state. Ramadabadingdong, vote for Tim Ryan. 
but he's not doing either of those things. He's doing this bastardized version of both. He is the mushy middle and he isn't even hammering JD Vance on abortion, which is something that I think you're going to need to do. So Ohio smells red to me. <laughs> Let's move now to Nevada. Real clear politics average has a similar spread. Adam Laxalt up over sitting Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. 1.7%. Now, look, if I'm Cortez Masto, I'm a little worried right now because most of the messaging that I have put out against Adam Laxalt over the last few weeks is that Laxalt will be a disaster on abortion. And yet, over the last few weeks, we have seen Laxalt continue to poll ahead of Cortez Masto. Furthermore, we had that attack ad, ad segment last week. The one we played of Masto that she themed after succession to paint Laxalt as a, a prototypical Washington fail son. Well, there's only so much that you can criticize Washington when that's where you've been. I don't love that as a strategy. I just have a bad feeling about Nevada in general for the Democrats. I think that in Nevada, specifically on the issues that are animating the Democratic Party nationally, specifically abortion after Dobbs, that Nevada is generally happy. They have it enshrined into their state law. And I don't know if it's going to move the needle in the same way that it would in other states. And let's drill down into this further. Nevada is basically Clark County. That's where Las Vegas is. Las Vegas is culturally, I'm not saying population-wise, culturally a small town. It is more Duluth than it is L.A. when you are actually talking to residents. The, the stuff that happens on the Strip is, is their cottage. And it, it might as well be their factory town. Everybody knows somebody who works on the line. I put in an email or a text message to our friend and guest here on the PX3 show, Matt Donnelly, who lives out there in Vegas. I asked from a scale of one to ten. How much does Las Vegas give a hoot about this Senate race? And he said to me, six. And I'm even going to say that that's probably high because Matt Donnelly's a fairly plugged in political guy. So if he's saying six, he follows, he listens to this show. He follows politics stuff. So if he's saying six, I'm, I'm probably going to even weight that down to a five or a four. Especially when he texts me this afterward. Things ranked in order that Clark County, again, the only county that matters in Nevada currently cares about. Number one, that the Aces, the WNBA team, won an NBA championship. Now I'm going to stop here. Because I'm explaining to you again that Las Vegas is culturally a small town. They love when the local thing happens. 
they turned out and showed up for the Vegas Golden Knights in a way that I had never seen in hockey before. And I grew up in a non-traditional hockey market in South Florida. South Florida didn't show up like that. South Florida is not culturally a small town. South Florida is culturally somewhere between Central America and Central Manhattan. But Vegas did, because Vegas loves the local stuff. So it makes... It is not surprising to me at all that he says that the Aces winning the WNBA championship is right now the number one thing that people care about. Number two, that the Raiders are 0-3. NFL is still very big, even though no locals could show up to go see Raiders games and the entirety of L.A., which empties out into Las Vegas every weekend, would still fill that stadium. Number three. There's a tremendous lack of water in Lake Mead, the place that gives Las Vegas its water. Number four, a local reporter who reported on corruption was murdered. That's a real story. You should look it up. It's very, very shady in a way that even Las Vegas has not been that shady in in, in a very long time. Not since. Harry Reid wound up uh, uh, showing up to work in, in the Senate looking totally beat up. When asked why, he said he fell in the shower. Interesting. And then, all the way down here at number five, there's a Senate race coming up. Now, I joked about Harry Reid before, but there is an element of this that is absolutely not a joke. Harry Reid ran that town. The Democratic Party of Nevada has been in shambles because progressive insurgents have fought with the remnants of the Reid machine. I don't think that they are at at their best. I don't know if they're in shambles. I just know that they're not at their best. And if Clark County isn't keyed up to go vote, then I got to say... Put my smells on red. All right, gang, we're going to take a quick break here because I want you guys to know that this show happens only because of you. Because of you. Because of the folks who take the time out of their day to go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com to subscribe to this show. And this is a weird show. This is an odd show. This is not a regular show. This is the show where I just went on a, a, a five-minute diatribe about dry heat because you guys know I'm fired up about this stuff. Yes, dry heat, but mostly politics, but also dry heat. I also want to let you guys know something else. Over the last four years, I've really put a concerted effort into starting a podcast production company. It's called Dog and Pony Show Audio. It's that tag that you hear at the very end. They're like, bing, 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 dog and pony show audio. That's my production company. I've done it because I found that I really, really liked not only making stuff that sounded really good, but also I was experiencing a lack of produced podcast series that I really enjoyed. 
And so I made my own. I made Raise the Dead. That was a history show that I did stem to stern, everything by myself. But then I really found that I liked working with other people. And so that's why we did World's Greatest Con with Brian Brushwood. We're currently working on season three for that. And holy crap, guys, you're going to love it. But one of the things that I've really enjoyed the most is working with young talent. And that's why I want to direct you guys to something that came up in the feed earlier this week. And that is Don't Explain. Don't Explain is a brand new three episode series from Will Saddleberg. He is our editor on the We're Not Wrong podcast. And he's also incredibly talented. He's got a great mind for movies. He's got a great mind for art. And he's got a great voice that I think has made a truly, truly, truly compelling series. Don't Explain has one simple premise. That every cliche that is so tired you could see it coming a mile away began as a brilliant idea. And he charts one of the most eye-rolling the rock star biopic, a genre so parodyable, it almost was completely immolated by a parody movie. You can download all of Don't Explain on any podcatcher, and you can get the first episode in the PX3 feed. Thank you guys for your support. Thank you to uh, anybody for whom you know, wants to send it to their friends. If you know movie buffs, I guarantee you, you guys are going to love it. So go ahead and check that out. Don't Explain, available on Podcatchers Everywhere, the latest from Dog and Pony Show. Let's get back into this sniff test. We've got an olfactory education here for you. And I've got Georgia on my mind right now. Real clear politics average has this at a squeaker. Warnock, Raphael Warnock, sitting senator from Georgia, up 0.3%. Now, I know that this is not great analysis, so please bear with me. Every once in a while, we're going to try to, we're, I don't want to do it a lot, but every once in a while, I just got to get a little, you know, in my bag, as the kids say. But I have had a vision, indeed, that sometime eight weeks from now that I will see the headline. Oh, it was fuzzy at first, and now I see it coming clearer. What Herschel Walker's win in Georgia says about the South. Oh, it'll be a think piece. Oh, it will dredge up every... A awful thing that's ever happened in the American South and in Georgia in specific. Yes, yes, that's what I see. Because this is a very close race. But a Quinnipiac poll showing Warnock up six, and that was in the middle of the month, 
now looks like a bit of an outlier, at least according to the most recent polls, all of which put either Warnock or Walker up by either one or three points, all of which in the margin of error. So let's assume that this is a tie race. Let's assume that this state that Biden barely won is now going to swing back a little bit because it's an off year election. That's what normally happens. And you've got some help at the top of the ticket for the Republicans. And you've got a bit of an anchor for the Democrats. Guys, I believe that Brian Kemp versus Stacey Abrams matters as a race in Georgia. I've been to Georgia now a few times since that race. Even Evan Scrimshaw was on this show talking about what a horrifying candidate Stacey Abrams is. That animates people. It animates the kind of voters that Herschel Walker needs to vote for him. And if we're betting on ticket splitters, I just don't buy it. And then there's this. We've got some genuine local nonsense of brewing. The Atlanta Braves came to visit the White House to meet the president, which has always happened unless Donald Trump's the president. And the press secretary said the following to this question. Um, um, the president hosting the Atlanta Braves today, wondering if you or the president has any thoughts about some of the controversial, about the team name, the Braves name, the so-called Tomahawk Shop, any thoughts on, on that? So we, we believe that it's important um, to have this conversation. Uh, you know, and uh, and Native American and indigenous voices, uh, they should be at the center of this conversation. The Democrats want to guardianize. They want to commandertize the Braves. Oh, will this, will this, the renaming of the Atlanta Braves Something that Herschel Walker and a bunch of local Republicans all pounced on immediately because it was an unforced error from the White House. One that both Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock have to deal with. Will this actually matter? No, I don't think so. But will it be blown out of proportion if Warnock loses as a proxy to paint Southerners as sports obsessed racists? Oh, hell yeah. I just got to say. <laughs> Georgia smells red to me. Which, of course, brings us to Pennsylvania. What a weird race. You know, I've I've been baffled at Oz being totally absent. I thought that he had momentum because he was able to find himself on the right side of making Fetterman's health an issue. But once you've staggered your opponent, you need to land that second, third shot. You need to get traction 
on other issues, because then if he starts coming back, you can always go back to the thing that you know you landed. No good campaign exists without one thing that is absolutely set in stone and then a few other satellite issues that are going to get the voters you need to vote into the voting booth. And yet, Oz has been unable to do that. The biggest thing he's tried to land next to the health issue is Fetterman being bad on crime. And look, this polls well with people in America and especially in Pennsylvania, which has two major cities in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. If you can scare enough of the Fetterman voters into not voting, then that's good. I just don't think that that's a particularly winning strategy, nor does it necessarily uh, turn out the voters that Oz needs to turn out. I mean, I said before, I would have leaned in on spending. I mean, to be totally honest, to be totally honest, while Oz has been out here whiffing with stuff like, was John Fetterman in league with the Crips when he was a mayor? And what about his tattoos? And what about how he dresses like a real scumbag? And who he hires and whether or not they were in jail once. That is poppycock. There's one winning issue for Oz. That Fetterman's a phony. He lied to himself about his own health and he suffered for it medically. He's lying to you about being an everyman. You know who I am. I'm Dr. Oz. I've been in your living room for years. I'm for more policies that we're going to need to get out of this recession that the Democrats created. So if you want to get out of it sooner, vote for me. Because I'm going to go to the Senate and I'm going to do everything I possibly can to end this Democrat-created recession as fast as possible. But if you want to allow you and your family to languish so LARPers like Fetterman can play socialist in D.C., well, then he's your guy. You know? So if you want, you know, do me a favor. Does anybody here have a 12-year-old? If you want to look in your 12-year-old's eye and say, you want to know what? The economy's bad right now, and it's going to be bad until you graduate high school. You're not even a teenager yet. Then go ahead. Fetterman's your man. Look, here's the, here's, here's the real. John Fetterman is more popular than Dr. Oz. And unless Oz can do damage to Fetterman, Oz is not going to become more popular. He's got to make Fetterman become less popular. And if you don't put the fear of God in people that Fetterman is dangerous, then this is going to cruise to a Fetterman win. And the fact that he's going to do that after having a stroke and a heart attack that he wasn't clear on and hasn't turned over his medical records, despite the fact that mainstream outlets like the Washington Post have called for it. Well, that's a bad job by old Dr. Oz. But it brings me back to something else. What the hell is wrong with Republicans that are not using the recession word like four times a sentence? You know, there's a likelihood 
that we are going to be announced in a recession in like a few weeks right before the election? Wouldn't you love for it to be something that you could crown yourself as the guy who said it? And look, whether or not it's true, like let's say worst case scenario that 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 there are some surprise results. We haven't seen that in, in the inflation data yet, but let's say there's some surprise results and we're not officially in a recession. You're telling me you don't want to own all that mind share of making parts of your races, the Democrats arguing the definition of a recession. That's always the most weaselly thing on the planet. Seems crazy to me. Anyway, I'm not going to believe that at some point between now and election day that Dr. Oz is going to become a better politician unless we're looking at a major polling error or Fetterman falls down and, uh, uh, you know, all but dies live on camera when he's debating Oz. I think that Pennsylvania smells blue. (laughs) So if we're going to go through... That is Arizona and Pennsylvania to the Democrats. So the Democrats hold one seat and take one seat. And then Georgia, Ohio, and Nevada that right now, to me, smell red. And and really, a lot of those come down to just me betting the the basics the absolute basics cuz this is always when i want to come back to my 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 very conservative philosophy about politics because we are deep in the weeds now and there's a million different pieces of data that we can weave into whatever narrative we want but if these races are close in states that have been close in an election that historically favors the out-of-power party, then I'm going to take the out-of-power party. It's just that simple. All right, guys, I got a clip that I want to play for you. This was on CBS This Morning. I I have a question for you about uh, aging. Because clearly you have not lost your enthusiasm. And I speak to you as a fellow senior citizen. There we go. Somebody told me this morning. (laughs) Let's get into it. Well, Gil, you're a senior citizen. I go, I am? What's the definition of a senior citizen? Anyone over the age of 65. So you're 81. uh, President Biden is 79. And there is a group of younger politicians who say, now is the time to let the younger generation come through. And most Americans, according to numerous polls, including a CBS poll, say, yes, there should be age limits. And in fact, the older people support age limits more than younger people. Yeah. Where are you on that question, Mr. 81-year-old? Excuse me, what did you say? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Look, this is what I think. You can categorize everybody. You're different than everybody. You know, we're all different. You've got to look at the individual. But what I think we do, guys is we look too much at race, at gender, at age. What does somebody stand for? Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, the question of age seemingly is on 
the tips of everybody's tongue. Not only because some of the most famous politicians in our lifetime have been there for much of our lifetimes, but we have the oldest president we've ever had now. And by the way, he succeeded the last oldest president we've ever had. Age matters to voters and to the politicians as they calculate what their future will be. Here to explain this trend, how bad it is, and what can be done about it, is Insider's own DC Bureau head honcho. His name is Dave Leventhal. Welcome back to the show, Dave. It is good to be back with you, Justin. So not only did you guys capture the political zeitgeist uh, when you at the Insider DC Bureau went all in on stock trading, because that has only become a bigger issue. And nobody in the, 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 the DC media, at least to my view, was covering it as extensively or as early as you guys are. But it seems that you are again at the head of the cultural zeitgeist talking about the age of politicians. We played the clip from CBS this morning, uh, right before you came on. Uh, but please tell us about this project. Well, it's going to come as no surprise to you or any of your listeners that the government of the United States is old. But what we have found is that the government of the United States, particularly Congress and the presidency, is as old as it has ever been. And that the gap between those who are leaders and those who are being led is as wide as it's ever been. So, you know, what's the deal? Well, there are profound implications and the, the implications are numerous. But to cut to the, the real politic of it all, you know, we're talking about issues of technology, civil rights, mm -hmm. energy, the environment, things that are urgent, things that are present. And in essence, you have a leadership that is not necessarily going to be here even in 10 or 20 or 30 years, making very profound decisions for a population that it's about 30 years older than on average. So, you know, to give you a couple of numbers, the average age of Congress, around 61. The average age of an American, or should I say the median age of an American, about 38. So uh, those are decisions that are being made, again, by people who are much more aged, and, and there's a clamoring. And, and you see this from Democrats. You increasingly see this from Republicans saying, well, hang on, you know, we're in our 20s, we're in our 30s. We, we need a seat at the table. We need the ability to share power or have power or have our voice heard in a way that's going to result in policy, result in decisions, result in a direction and a philosophy that's going to benefit us when we're 80 years old. And, and here we are, you know, half a century before that now. And just to give folks an idea of how much this idea has changed over the years, in 1996, Bob Dole ran for president and was 73 years old. He was widely considered by the media and voters to be so far beyond 
how old you should be able to be to be president that it from the jump kind of crippled his campaign. Let's flash forward to now when Bernie Sanders, as was pointed out in the clip, is 81 and Joe Biden is in his late 70s. Donald Trump not far behind him in his late 70s. Why has this become a trend? It's become a trend in a way that because the government is older and what kind of is old is new again in terms of uh, solutions or ways to address what not all people, but what a vast majority of Americans believe is an issue. So we commissioned a poll. We asked Americans of all ages, of all political persuasions, do you find this to be a problem? And, and we're not talking about any individual. We're not talking no. about Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump or Joe Biden specifically. Uh, this is obviously a very sensitive issue. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> we are definitely not trying to be ageist here in any way, shape or form. But that all being said, when you have the overall trend of government getting older and older, it's a fair question to ask. And, and again, the question that we put to voters, the question that we put to people who are in a position to vote for their leaders is, uh, is the government too old, in your opinion? Uh, should there be new blood? Should there be fresh perspectives? Uh, should there be term limits? Should there be age limits? At minimum, should there be limits on leaders of the party stepping down after a certain age in a, in a fashion as airline pilots might or generals in the army uh, or, or even judges in many states where there are age limits uh, or, or term limits? And th that long lead up uh, leads to the answer, which is overwhelmingly, yes, people feel that way. So, you know, that in and itself, Justin, raises the question of, is there something that should be done? Is there a way to run the government railroad, so to speak, uh, that that's not being done right now? And it, from a policy perspective, is a term limit or an age limit or, or something that would basically not allow or prevent a government official from serving for perpetuity, either in a de jure or de facto way, uh, be a better way of, of going about the the American experience than, than relative to what we have right now. Now you say that, and I believe that you guys have done all your due diligence in terms of the poll, and I believe that everybody who answered that poll was being genuine when they said that they are uncomfortable with folks of this age being in those levels of power for seemingly indefinite periods of time. However, you know here on this show, we focus on one thing and one thing only, what happens on Election Day and any pre-voting that leads up to it. And it seems like each and every one of these folks, especially the ones that we talk about as being the most comically aged, the Chuck Grassley's, the Nancy Pelosi's, they keep getting elected over and over and over and over again. So voters, when it absolutely comes down to deciding when who they're going to send to represent them seem to pick these comparatively aged, wizened politicians. Is incumbency factoring into this? Incumbency is absolutely factoring into this. So if you're an incumbent and you're running for Congress, you've got at least an 85% chance right off the bat that you're going to get reelected. Those are the numbers that have been consistent election cycle after election cycle 
four decades, Justin. And sometimes, depending on the election cycle, they'll creep up to 90%, 95%. So why is that the case? Well, in essence, what you have is a power feedback loop in this country. If you get into office, it's incredibly difficult for voters to get you out. And there are several reasons for that. Number one, most fundamentally, is money. As an incumbent, it's just a heck of a lot easier to raise money and and to line your coffers with cash so that when you go back and it's election season and you're back in your district, you can buy those television ads. You can buy those digital ads. You can hire a whole bunch of staff. You can uh, make more mailers and more lawn signs and do all the, the different things that you will do, have all the trappings and accoutrement of a campaign that are going to benefit you relative to your campaign challenger, your election challenger, who is probably not going to have all of those things. Uh, and, and really, that it helps you with name identification. If you've had a rough run in Congress, then you know, you're going to be able to ameliorate your situation perhaps better than you would if you didn't have money. So it, it all gives you an advantage. It's not a guarantee. We, we threw out those 85%, 90% victory rate numbers. There, there's always that, that 10% or 15%, but by and large, overall, across the country, it's going to give you a huge, huge head start right out of the gate. Then you get to issues of uh, redistricting, which we've seen mm-hmm. in uh, very, very bold fashion here in 2022, a redistricting year, uh, and uh, this happens every 10 years. And... In a way, redistricting is an opportunity for parties in each state, depending on who controls the state legislatures, to reinforce their power structure at that level. And that happens both in the redistricting process itself, but also in the the gerrymandering of districts that oftentimes are going to benefit incumbents and give them safe seats. Again, doesn't happen 100% of the time. We had those exceptions to the rules of member-on-member races that happened in primaries, but by and large, it's an opportunity for incumbents who are already pretty entrenched to entrench themselves that much more. And then there's kind of the human element to it, which is familiarity. If, if everything's going generally okay and a member of Congress isn't rocking the boat and reflecting the uh, you know, reflecting the the sentiments of the district that he or she is representing, then there's not necessarily a, a a great reason to go and elect somebody who is untested or unknown. Uh, so that does factor into it too. And, and somebody may fairly ask, well, hey, isn't that the democratic process? You can send somebody in as many times as you want to. If they're doing a great job, doesn't matter if they're 40 or 80 or 275. Uh, And and that's a very fair point and one that we explore in great detail in Red, White, and Gray, our series. But at the same time, too, there are very serious questions, and we're even having ones that are coming up uh, literally as we speak right this moment about members of Congress who may be past their prime, uh, may not necessarily be in a position to make the best decisions as members of Congress. And The election cycle, well, it happens two years, every two years for a House member, every six years Mm -hmm. for a member of Senate. Uh, Obviously, Senator Dianne Feinstein has been somebody who over the past many months, even many years, there have been serious questions about whether she is still up to the task of serving as a member of the U.S. Senate. 
uh, the January. I mean, 6th there committee. was there was like I'll, I'll say it. There was a hit piece that was all using Democratic sources, so it was coming from inside the House. It wasn't from the Republican side that essentially called her incompetent. And 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 I, I don't mean hit piece to say that it was untrue. It's just that that's that's a fairly remarkable thing to happen when everybody who's these you know unnamed sources are all from various offices within the Democratic Congress. That's kind of crazy. And my colleague Warren Rojas wrote a story as part of this project that talked to numerous staffers, not just for Dianne Feinstein, but for others who have served, who have had trouble, uh, members of Congress who are aged today, and put the question to them. Well, you know, what, what happens when you have to really, really help a member of Congress understand what's going on in Congress, what steps do you have to take? What are the what are the potential pitfalls of that? What what happens to the electorate when you're not being represented in as full a way as you might be if you had somebody there who was able to comprehend the various issues, was able to keep up with the the ebbs and flows and the pace of the legislative process, and just being a representative of not a couple of people, but hundreds of thousands, or in the case of some senators millions of people. And um, we got some some pretty striking answers, to say the least. How much of this is about medical transparency? Because politicians famously do not want to talk about anything that isn't going to advance them down the road. Uh, uh, I would I would imagine if we actually had medical transparency on plastic surgery alone, it would be a very interesting and eye opening thing to know about some of the Washington elite. But when it comes to some of these Folks who are are getting up there, I, I don't feel like we quite understand exactly what the medical realities of that are. Uh, in your series, have have you found that that there could be a need for us as citizens just to know more about how these folks are aging? The reality is is that this issue is a black box when it comes to members of Congress, when it comes to members of the Supreme Court. Even when it comes to the president and the president, regardless of who it is, it can be Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Barack Obama, every year they have a physical and every year they release at least some information about their medical situation, what the doctor found. But even that at its best is decidedly incomplete and doesn't give anyone really a full picture in the public of a, a, a medical situation for, for any member of Congress, or rather the president. And now for Congress, you don't really get anything. And that can be a huge issue. I mentioned that there's a situation happening right now. Well, the January 6th commission is, uh, committee is looking into whether there are a couple of members of Congress who, in their estimation, may not have had the full mental abilities to carry out congressional duties. I mean, that's quite a charge to say the least. But as a member of Congress, you are under no obligation, legal or otherwise, to release information or data about your own personal medical situation, be that physical, mental, or otherwise. In our poll that we put out with Morning Consult, uh, a wonderful firm to work with, we, we asked that question to voters too. Should there be more transparency? If you are a member of Congress or you're running for Congress, should you have to undergo a physical to make sure that everything is good? And and again, there's a very good argument here on both sides. On one side, you may may say, well, 
wait a second, why should we subject an elected official to this type of scrutiny? There's a lot of privacy issues involved here, and, and those are fair points. On the other hand, you have people, and we've talked to them as well, who have argued, well, wait, if, if that pilot who's flying your plane doesn't have the uh, physical abilities to actually handle the plane, the mental abilities to be able to go through a checklist during an emergency, uh, doesn't have the, uh, the, the vision, the reaction time in, in order to handle that plane, do you really want them flying your plane? Uh, the same question could be put to members of Congress. If you have somebody who's voting on profound policy issues or making decisions that are just going that they are simply going to affect uh, huge numbers of people all across the country, do you want them in a position doing that? And not just once or twice, but every day as their job as an elected official on behalf of the American public. Uh, I ask that question rhetorically, but but that is a question that very much gets explored when you have a conversation like this. And, and people are getting even more, you know, kind of up in arms and curious about this than even, even we expected uh, when we first conceived of this project earlier this year. You know, it, it brings me back to some of the, the conversation around John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, because regardless of the politics there, the man had a major, major health event only a few months ago and has, at least according to the Washington Post and the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, not been as forthcoming about his full health records. And you got to wonder if a guy who is younger, who just had a major health event, in, in, in this case, a stroke, isn't going to release you know, uh, substantial medical records before he gets elected, then the standard has to be non-existent. Like, like there's no way anybody's going to release anything. Well, this is a huge issue for any voter, but it, it brings it to a, a, a very real situation in Pennsylvania. And John Fetterman has been pretty opaque about exactly what had happened, uh, the degree to which he is still affected. I mean, Recovering from a stroke is a serious matter. It serious, takes a lot serious of time. stuff. Yeah, and 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 we're not we're not electing somebody to dog catcher here. Okay, this is somebody who is going to serve a six year term in the U.S. Senate as one of the the most powerful legislators in in the country in a swing state where where they're they've got a big choice in front of them. So if if there was a law, for example, that said okay, any U.S. Senate candidate is going to have to release a medical checkup uh, document or, or otherwise provide some information about whether they are fit to serve, we'd be having a very different conversation right now, Justin. But, but there is no law of that sort. There is no standard in place to require or compel somebody to provide that information Similar to laws and requirements, and you mentioned the stock project uh, that we've been working on, there is a mm -hmm. law that was put in place. Congress put <laughs> it in place for itself with all of its flaws, which we've talked about many, many times before. But still, it says, well, all right, if you make a stock trade, you got to publicly release information about that stock trade with the idea being that the public has a right to know if you have a potential conflict of interest with your personal financial interests and the public policy that you may or will be working on as a member of the House or the Senate. There's no real analog for 
medical issues or medical data or records. And in the question that we're exploring is, is should there be? And again, there's lots of different opinions uh, that, that are coming to bear, but we feel that this is uh, an, an issue for the very reasons why, or the very reasons that, that are coming to the foray uh, in Pennsylvania, because members of Congress, they get sick. They, they have yeah. trouble. The, it, it may affect their ability to serve well. It may affect the way that voters would want to vote for somebody or not want to vote for somebody in the course of an election. And let's remember that, that there's lots of public scrutiny that's put on political candidates for the very reason that uh, of the idea that voters should have the requisite information going into the ballot booth about a candidate uh, to make a good decision, to make an informed decision. And if you lack that information, well, you know, then uh, then you're going to have less of uh, what you would have otherwise to to make that decision. So much of the modern conversation around this issue seems to have revolved around or at least been exacerbated by social media. Uh, the fact that a an embarrassing clip of somebody that may or may not be showing their age or looks confused or looks infirmed now is something that we tend to focus on a lot more. And while it does happen often on party lines, I, I wonder from your perspective, how, how much of the fact that we are talking about this is not only the fact that, as you guys have pointed out, we have hit a milestone in terms of how old our leaders are, but also we can see them in HD and replicated for free forever because of the internet. 20 odd years ago, it was a little bit easier to hide Strum Thurman. Okay. Yes. Let's put it that way. And, and now not so much. And if you have a, uh, a member of the, the Senate uh, or the house who is struggling, uh, it's going to be a lot more visible today than it would have been in the pre-Twitter, TikTok, 24-hour news cycle type of environment that, that we are in and have been in for, for at least a solid decade in, in the way that we understand it to be today. Now, that being said, we're focusing on the presidency and we're focusing on Congress. One area, and there's one heck of a story that we just published uh, just today that focuses on the judiciary. Now, mm -hmm. as most people will know, federal judges, this is not state judges where there are term limits and other limits, but at the federal level, you have a lifetime appointment to the bench. And that is the same case for the Supreme Court, appellate courts, district courts. So if you're 50 years old and you get appointed to a federal court today, it is entirely possible that you could be serving in that job for the next 50 years, that we will be talking about you in the same context, not in just 2022, but 2032, 42, 52, 62, 72, because you can stay. And some judges do. In fact, the story uh, that we just published today uh, tells a tale of a judge who was serving on a federal district court bench until he was 104 years old. And there are concerns within the court that that we were able to reveal that result in some really curious things happening. One example, mm -hmm. uh, there was a particular federal court where the judges who were members of that court, they were so concerned with there being just a, a lack of focus on the issue of judges being able to have, you know, full capacity to make decisions, to make rulings that they 
had an informal, what you could call career suicide pact with each other to basically say, okay, if any one of us notices any other one of us that, that we cannot carry out our duties, we will alert you to that fact and you will need to resign. Now, that's all in the absence of there being term limits or age limits or any sort of formal legal mechanism to deal with those types of situations. As it stands right now, if you are a federal judge and and you just, to, to be as plain spoken as I can be, you just can't cut it anymore. You don't have the ability yeah. to do your job anymore. Nothing short of being impeached really is going to be able to uh, to force you or to compel you to leave your job. You can just stay there until you die. And many, in, in, in many situations, more than you might think, uh, judges, as well as some members of Congress, just simply die in their seat. And I can understand some of the 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 the, the stickier issues here. You know, you, you've heard it a lot in... I think it was Bobby Bowden who said for college football that, you know, uh, uh, you know, the moment you step down, you're just counting the days to death. And and that's why a lot of those guys stayed in those jobs probably uh, years, if not decades longer than they than they needed to in a fairly high pressure situation. Uh, uh, you've you've seen it happen in in a lot of different areas where people walk out of a a life and a routine for which they've had for a very long time. And then that's it. So. I I do want to point out that as we have these conversations about the aged in leadership positions, I can appreciate from their perspective that this is a literal life and death decision that they are making. It, they really are. And, uh, and it's something that is incredibly personal. You can't remove the human element from this and, and, and treat people as if they were robots. <laughs> you know, it's just simply yes. not going to be the case. And so we talked to many people who were older, uh, who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, or beyond, and who either are currently serving or who have served in high, high positions of power, Congress, the judiciary, et cetera. And we asked them about that. And we tried to explore with them the thought process of either staying or the thought process of leaving. Let's start on that second point first. Uh, one of my colleagues interviewed uh, a half a dozen former members of Congress who kind of quit in their prime. They were in their 50s or their 60s. They had a lot of power. They were in positions of leadership in some cases. They definitely were not going to lose re-election if they decided mm -hmm. to run again, but they stepped away. So, okay, why did you step away? And they gave us a variety of answers, but if there was one commonality it was that they felt like they didn't want to be there when they were 85 or 90 and then suddenly something went wrong and they had a they had a health crisis or emergency or or they sort of began the slow decline of that that happens with the normal aging process for many people late in age and they didn't want in their words to in essence uh, be in a position that that they they couldn't fulfill they couldn't fulfill the duties, and but yet still be there and not serve their constituents in a way that they thought that their constituents deserve. So in essence, it was uh, preventative medicine, if you will, preventative political medicine in the sense that they wanted to get out of the game before they no longer could really play the game at the level that they had been at, uh, to put it in some sports terms. And then we talked to others, and, and we talked to Bernie Sanders, for example, who 
who mm-hmm. basically poo-pooed all of this and said, look at me. I'm, I'm running around the Capitol. I am doing work. I am at the top of my game. And we talked to others who felt like even though uh, they are older than they used to be, that they still very much are at the top of their game. And a lot of members of Congress share that sentiment. I mean, just look at the Democratic leadership right now. Nancy Pelosi, James Clyburn, Steny Hoyer, the top three Democrats in the U.S. House right now. They're all in their 80s. And, you know, none of them are looking to step away. We asked Nancy Pelosi about this. Well, all right, what's going to happen? Are you going to step down as speaker? Are you going to quit Congress? And and she was noncommittal. And she believes very much, even if she has not said it in exactly these words, that she is at the top of her game. And it's kind of hard to argue when you are the Speaker of the House and 82 yeah. years old that you're not at the top of your game, although definitely a lot of Republicans would uh, suggest otherwise. Uh, it's still uh, something that uh, she she has been able to maintain that power at an incredibly high level and uh, in, is, is lionized by many Democrats uh, who believe that she is perfectly within her rights and wanted and needed to be Speaker and the leader of the Democrats there. And and God willing, Speaker Pelosi will have many good morning Sunday mornings ahead of her, uh, uh, whether she is in Congress or not. I will point out for Bernie Sanders that, yes, if he wants to uh, uh, rely on the fact that he is healthy as a horse, the man also had a heart attack while he ran for president last time and had to suspend his campaign briefly before restarting it. So he, he you did. Know, yeah. There's, and, and there is another there are, there example are, of there's yeah. wear and tear. Right. This is a rough game, especially when you're talking about president. Like, like it is, it, it's something that I, I don't know what the 2020 election would have looked like if Joe Biden and Donald Trump both had to be out on the campaign the entire time, you know, and, COVID and if, put if an either, end to that. Right. And if, if they, if they put, if they run in 2024 against each other and, and, and that's the way that the 2024 presidential election ultimately goes, no matter who gets elected, we will have a president who will be serving well into his 80s. And yeah. we, we looked up a quote from Nelson Mandela uh, back in, in the 1990s. And, and I remember hearing this when I was in you know college, uh, him saying it. So I, I had to read it for myself again. And I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I'm paraphrasing here. And he basically said, I, I, I don't want to be an old man in office. I, I don't feel like I can handle the job of being president of South Africa uh, back then in, in the mid 90s when he was and lead this country into a future. This needs to be a job for a younger man. So he was making that case very firmly, not in in philosophical terms, but in very personal terms that he, he did not feel like that was the best direction for his country to go in. Joe Biden and my colleague Nicole Guadiano has an absolutely fascinating story about why Joe Biden thinks that he could be your president at any age. And and it really gets inside. It's a 4,500 word story, just exquisitely reported, talks to so many people close to him, literally is like, you know, talking to Jill Biden as she's at some little store in Delaware. I mean, we we went all over the place with this story. And, you know, I'll, I'll let everyone read the story. But I think one thing that can be said about it is that Joe Biden as president at age 79, soon to be 80 in November, feels as if he is also at the top of his game, that that he not only is the antidote to Donald Trump and somebody who has 
and can continue to be a bulwark against him, but also to that that he should be the president because he can bring vitality and ideas and energy to the office, despite whatever the skeptics may say, and that he's always felt that way. And this is a man who really, truly has had an extraordinary political career in a way that very few, almost no politicians have had in the sense that Joe Biden was elected to the U.S. Senate when he was 29 years old and quite possibly could be at the pinnacle of American leadership if he won a second term and served out that second term until yeah. he was 86 years old. And that's uh, that's really remarkable by any way you want to cut it. Um, I, I feel like I could talk to you about this for uh, another another 20 minutes because I was I was just about to spin up into my frustration that uh, uh, Biden's uh, decline in speech, which I think anybody who goes back and watches old Joe Biden clips, it, it's clear. I'm not saying he's unfit to serve. I'm just saying he talks different, was written off during the campaign as stuttering, which is insane to me and, and just indicative of how much I think the problem that we get into whenever we talk about the the rubber meeting the road on these issues is that we're a very politically divided country and everybody wants their team to win. And sometimes the horse that you're betting on is pretty old and has a long name brand value behind them, but maybe isn't exactly throwing 99 on the gun anymore. But Oh, well, uh, uh, you can read all about this uh, through the great coverage of Insider's brand new series. Dave, uh, where can they find it? You can go to businessinsider.com and you can certainly go to at Dave Leventhal. That's D-A-V-E-L-E-V-I-N-T-H-A-L, where I am tweeting about this. Day in and day out, we've had a, a new story, at least one new story every day for the past two and a half weeks. And we've got a week left to go here uh, with about uh, 30 parts to this project, uh, really trying to hit every last angle that we can to give a full understanding of what the issues, the problems and the opportunities are here. I want everybody to, to be very, very clear about this point, that there's a lot of straight trash that gets written in DC <laughs> and I know cause I have to read it all. And if you've ever found yourself saying, Oh my God, I hate the fact that everybody's chasing their own tail and they're all talking about the same story and they're all just quoting the same people over and over and over again. They're basically just rewriting what happened on Twitter today. Please support quality, well-researched journalism that isn't necessarily tied to whatever hyperventilation is happening at the moment. It's what Dave is doing over there at the Insider Bureau at, at in, in D.C. So thank you for doing that. Everybody go check that out. And thank you, Dave, for coming on the show. Hey, really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you want to thank Dave Leventhal for being on the show, do me a favor, letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. You want to send me an email, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You want to find this podcast, send it to your friends, send it to your family. It is px3podcast.com. And also, one more reminder, don't explain the latest series available now. All of it, all three episodes on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, that is don't explain 
by Will Saddleberg. You can also search for Dog and Pony Show Audio for that as well. You want to support this program? It is paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo money isn't real. It's not real. I'm telling you, it ain't. Justin Dash Young Dash 20. Our cash app is PX3Cash, and you can send anything that you would like to me in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. There's only one way, however, that you can get bonus content of this program, and that is by going to takepoliticsseriously.com. At the $3 tier, you get two bonus podcasts per week covering the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. Again, that is one bonus podcast on Monday mornings, one on Tuesday after, or sorry, Thursday afternoons, and that is the latest news that we cover. And then the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier. Andres, Matt, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Levels, Katie, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, DB Vorbongo, Catherine, Todd, persons familiar with the matter, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA Select Start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arslandian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, DL, Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana, Turn 2, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief A. Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad, Richard, D. Laser, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank got abducted, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. Again, take politicsseriously.com to get on that list. Thank you. Thank you to the ever-strengthening Titanic $10 tier. On the next episode of the program on Friday, we're going to be joined from around the world. Dave Leventhal, Daily Orange alumni. Myself, Daily Orange alumni. But we're only here in America. You didn't know that the Daily Orange Alumni Shadow Network stretched all around the globe. Oh, we have our little birdies everywhere. And one of my favorites, who I haven't talked to in a million years, so it's going to be great even just to catch up with him, is the Washington Post bureau chief uh, in Rome. That is Chico Harlan. Chico Harlan is one of the greatest writers I ever had the privilege of of editing. And he is going to talk to us all about the Italian prime minister. Oh, she has been uh, very, very talked about here in America. We don't usually talk about Italian prime ministers, but Maloney got him going. That'll be on Friday. Till then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying uh, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics, but theirs. This is the only show that dares discuss all three.
Ryman Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.